0: Hi there, and welcome to this week's episode of the Everyday Musician Podcast. I am your host, Eric Mungala, and I would like to welcome any new listeners who have stumbled across the podcast. Uh, We are really excited that you are here. If you haven't done so already, please like us on social media on Facebook and on Instagram. They both have the same handle, uh, at Everyday Musician Podcast. Um, Really easy to find, really easy to search, and really easy to subscribe. Also, full disclosure, I want to apologize in advance for the audio quality in this episode. It didn't turn out as good as I thought, so I apologize for the inconvenience that this may cause. I know, I'm shedding a tear right now as I speak. But on to the episode in 3, 2, 1, Go!
1: Welcome to the Everyday Musician Podcast, hosted by Eric Mergala, a podcast where he has conversations with everyday musicians doing amazing things. Here's your host, Eric.
0: Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Everyday Musician Podcast. My name is Eric Mergala, your host for the podcast. On the line here, I have Chris Kaminsky. Chris, good to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me absolutely so for the people who are not familiar with who you are can you just tell us uh what you do and where you're based
1: sure so i am uh a composer uh and music theorist uh slash clarinetist uh, and i'm currently uh living in michigan uh going to grad school in uh, uh michigan state
0: excellent so i also grew up
1: in new jersey uh Oh, sorry.
0: <laughs> no, nope, that's fine. Yeah. So you grew up in New Jersey and uh, yeah, continue on.
1: Yeah. I grew up in New Jersey, uh, lived there all my life, went to Rutgers for undergrad. Uh, I was a music ed and composition double major, which was a lot of fun, a lot of work, uh, but really fun. Uh, and then I decided that I wanted to get out of New Jersey finally. So I went finally. to New <laughs> Jersey. <laughs> what does that mean effect?
0: for all the people who live in New Jersey? <laughs>
1: Uh, well, it's a small state, so it's easy to get out of. Um, but the problem is everything in New Jersey is really convenient because everything is really close together, especially in central New Jersey, uh, which does exist. Uh, there is an internal debate in New Jersey whether or not central New Jersey exists. Uh, and it does. So, uh, okay. That's the thing.
0: (laughs) Great. And what are you doing in grad school?
1: Uh, right now, I'm finishing up my last year of a composition master's and a music theory master's. Great. So it's a, it's a double major. Yeah, double major, So, which is uh, a lot of work, but a lot of fun.
0: <laughs> yeah. And how long is the program? Is it two years? Is it
1: three? Uh, two years for each degree. And if you double it, it ends up being three years total. So it works out pretty well.
0: Okay, Great. And Chris, how did you get started in music? What, what instrument did you play?
1: Mm. Um, so I started... Well, I, I guess i say that my my dad is a uh, professional polka, polka musician and composer. Um, he is a Steve Kaminsky, or Stephen Kaminsky is, a, is his name. Um, and he's, he's, he did a lot of... He did most of the music for Jan Levan, who was the... Number one poker artist on the East Coast. And if you want to know his story, uh, you can. if you want Jan Levon's story, you can check out a lot of the documentaries that are about him. Uh, but my dad wrote all of his music and he was a saxophone player, also played clarinet, but he hated the clarinet, still does. Uh, oh, interesting, okay. the uh, saxophone was a lot easier for him, so. <laughs> but he doubles on it if he has to. But uh, so I had him growing up, uh, went to some of his concerts, and he was a musician. Um and my older brother uh started playing piano when he was in kindergarten um and played that he still plays it now he's a he does musical theater stuff uh in New Jersey area um and I started my first instrument was piano in second grade <laughs> and so early on. Started on that yeah pretty early on um it was more just because um, uh, I saw my dad playing music and I saw my brother playing music. So I was like, oh, I guess I should play music too. Um, so I started on that. And then fourth grade came along and I have—I had the option to join a band. Uh, and I uh, originally wanted to play oboe, uh, but <laughs> my, my mother said, uh, did not want a new oboe in her house. So she said, play the clarinet. It's the same thing. <laughs> but
0: not really, of course, yeah, oh actually, uh, yeah. just last week we had a we had an oboist on the podcast, yeah,
1: mm, mm, look at that
0: <laughs> so we have um,
1: uh, so
0: definitely the next couple of weeks we have had um last week an oboe player this week, a clarinet player, so that's all amazing hmm.
1: um so yeah, so i I played clarinet um ever since fourth grade, I started taking le- clarinet lessons in high school. Uh, and then I think as soon as I took my first clarinet lesson, I was like, Oh, this is what I want to do. I want to be a clarinet, clarinet, uh, major, uh, and be a music ed person. That's my in- initial, um, uh, that's what I started off at Rockers as was a music ed clarinet. <laughs> and then I got into compose. I kind of composed, um, little things my whole life, but never showed anyone. Um, it was, it was. just write these little like rock songs to myself because my my piano teacher uh, was uh, a rock studio pianist, um, and we we grew up. I grew up learning classical stuff, um, and then uh, I would also play in my church praise band, which we read lead sheets and chord symbols, which was really fun. So got to improvise a whole bunch of stuff, uh, and taught me how to rock out all these cool things. Um, so I had, I had my classical clarinet training, uh, and a rock piano training kind of at the same time, which was, which was really interesting. Um, also did uh, jazz piano in high school to the best of my ability. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I definitely consider myself more of a clarinetist than a pianist. Um, even now, um, Yeah, I kind of composed, um, my whole life didn't show anybody, uh, until I was in a clarinet quartet in my second year of Rutgers. Um, and I, uh, I was in the quartet and they asked me, uh, or I I asked them, uh, if I, if they wanted me to write anything for them, just out of the blue. They're like, yeah, sure. Come on, write it, bring it in. And, uh, so wrote a piece and, uh, it was the first time anyone else had pl- seen and played my music, um, and they liked it. And so we performed it um, in front of the Woodwind Assembly. It was like all the Woodwind students um, at Rutgers. And then everyone liked that. So then we performed it in front of the entire undergraduate body. <laughs> and then uh, the uh, Daryl Bott, the conductor and music ed one of the guys at Rutgers said, you're going to be in the cop program. And he introduced me to Bob Aldridge and he said, he's in. And that's how I got into being a composer.
0: Uh, Fascinating. Very good. (laughs) And and, uh, just this past summer, we uh, we collaborated together on on a project out in the Midwest. So I actually want to talk about that for just a moment. So can you just describe uh, the title of the piece and what were your, what your process was composing this particular piece that that I performed?
1: Sure. Uh, so the title was, um, who I was and who I am now. Uh, and, uh, I, I wanted to, well, I guess I have a little background information. Um, the last year and a half, I've been really diving into heavy metal, um, and writing in writing in that style, studying it, uh, both for compositional purposes and for theory purposes, too. I'm really interested in the theory behind metal music, too. Um, And I kind of made a decision uh, last year that said I wasn't going to write classical music anymore. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So I I made that decision, and I decided to only write heavy metal stuff. for heavy metal concert music, pretty much, um, for the next year, uh, which coincided with me ser- seriously starting the quesadilla and all that stuff, which we'll we'll get into that later. Um, but uh, I was trying to write this the piece the this piece for the festival, and I couldn't get started. I didn't know what to do. Um, the the theme was on identity uh, from the. Uh, for the requirements for the festival, and I was stuck. And then I decided that for me to talk about identity, it would be to talk about uh, how I was when I first started writing music. Uh, and that was, uh, I was really big into hardcore minimalism when I first started writing music. I would listen to John Adams' uh, Phrygian Gates on repeat many days. Um, and just listen to that all the time. I thought minimalism was the coolest thing in the world, uh, which it is. Um,
0: (laughs) I also, I also appreciate minimalism. I I like the genre and I like the music that's composed in that genre as well. Yeah.
1: So I, I, I wanted this piece to be like, um, in homage to how I used to write. Um, so I made a list of, of all the pieces that have really influenced me since I started writing and since, or I guess in my musical life too. Um, and I decided the piece would be a um, a mashup of the ideas of uh, some of those pieces. Not every piece from the list made it on there, um, but a, a, good, a good number of them did. The three the three big pieces that I chose that I really that really had a big implant in, um, influence on me uh, was uh, William Walton's uh, first symphony, the first movement. Um, That that movement has, um, like, three or four main ideas that all start, but the idea, one idea is in the process of finishing as the next one starts. So everything's kind of layered and everything's developing at the same time, which is really interesting. Um, And that was one of my my comp teachers, uh, or second comp teacher's uh, favorite pieces to show. Uh, I studied with Tarek O'Regan. Uh, at Rutgers for a while uh, and he was great <laughs> I love loved Eric to death. Um, so you showed me that piece uh, another one was uh, The First Circle uh, by Pat Metheny uh, and that has a 12-8-10-8 groove uh, throughout most of the piece that also changes um, and the beginning of the piece starts off with all clapping on all the upbeats uh, and uh, I, I used um hmm. The, the 12-8 half of it as the 12 the big 12-8 section in in my piece, the three two three two two 2 Just because I grooved on that. I, I played that my senior year of high school in jazz band, uh, and that was probably the, the highlight of my high school musical career, I guess. Um, Headbagging to the first circle was, was really cool. Um, and, the, and the third piece was Phrygian Gates uh, with the constant eighth notes in the piano and everything just being calm and still uh, and adding more notes over time and expanding outward. And uh, so Those are the big three pieces that I, that I chose to, to uh, use as influence for, the, for that piece. But as I was writing it, I couldn't ignore how I changed since I started, uh, since I started composing. So um it's it's a combination of how I used to write but also since I wrote it now like how what my mindset is now too which was really fun to write
0: and for um just for the audience the instrumentation is two violins viola cello and piano so uh there, there is no uh, woodwind instrument in this ensemble. Was it difficult writing for strings? Have you written for strings before? Uh,
1: very little. Um, that was my first like string quartet uh, and piano, but first string quartet experience writing this piece. Um, I wrote uh, a few chamber pieces with strings, um, but it was always strings, woodwinds. Uh, it was always a mixed ensemble. Um I wrote a, a a chamber chamber orchestra piece uh, for my grad school auditions, um, but other than that, I don't really write for strings a lot. So this was my first like real big dive into writing for strings.
0: Yeah, that was going to be my next question. So um, if uh, if you if your primary preference is to perform and to compose uh, woodwind uh, woodwind music in general, so yeah that's interesting yeah um it was definitely a pleasure to play your piece oh, thank you I will admit it was uh it was kind of it was difficult to get together because like there's um you know with minimalism you have a lot of layers right and it's all about making sure each yeah. layer fits in like another rhythm or um, another melody that's just playing for a very long time so uh that's the challenge with minimalism in general where you have this long mm-hmm. melody or you have this very consistent rhythm that and And actually I find that percussionists deal with this um, issue all the time in orchestras where what they do is they have like a very Mm. consistent rhythm like Bolero by Ravel. They have the same rhythm for the snare throughout the entire piece, right? And they have to maintain the same rhythm, same tempo, not go faster, not go slower. And, and that's, um, that's definitely one of the challenges that we experience with your piece. But I'm for people who are interested in listening to uh, this piano quintet it will be available um, online for you to listen to. It'll be in the podcast description notes. So please go over there on YouTube or on Chris's website or my website. It'll all be available via video. Um, so, Chris, uh, I want to I touch base with you on the Church of Quesa Deity, okay? <laughs> because this <laughs> is a very unique project, Um Right. So you, you were talking about how you wanted to compose more heavy metal, right? So kind of yes. maybe, maybe taking a break from classical music or maybe entirely ignoring the classical music genre, but you, this is like, you're kind of combining like a heavy, me, like heavy metal genre plus opera, like a two in one. So talk about the Church of Quesa Deity. I'll just leave it there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> sure. So, um, the Church of Quesadity is a heavy metal opera about a cult that worships quesadillas. Uh, which is. <laughs> right. So let's, talk, let's dive in. <laughs> let's
0: <laughs> dive in. What a... <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what so, it is. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's, it's such a. Th- this idea is just so out there. So, what, like, <laughs> talk about the process of coming up with an opera like this.
1: Oh, sure. Sure. Uh, so. If any other composers are listening, you may have a uh, l- uh, list on your phone of titles or pieces that you you want to use someday. Uh, I, I kept this in my phone for a long time, and uh, one day I was scroll. Uh, I don't remember what the context was, but I wrote down the case of deity. Someone said it in some context. And I have no idea what it was. Uh, I don't remember what it was. Uh, And I wrote it down. Yeah, wrote it down and and forgot about it. Uh, And then it was about a year and a half ago. um, I was thinking about my master's thesis for my program, and I was like, okay, I wanted to do uh, it has to be a bigger piece um, or a a significant piece at least. Uh, And my my dream piece at the time was a concerto for heavy metal band and wind ensemble. Um, that was like my the dream piece I always wanted to write. But then I started thinking about it and I was like, okay, well, if you have a heavy metal band, you probably want a screamer. And if you are going to scream something, they need to have text. So what text would I use for, for this piece? And I started scrolling through my phone around those lists of titles and I came across The Case of Deity. And I was like, oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah, that was a thing. And then Everything clicked into my head <laughs> instantly. And I said, it, yeah, I'm like, that's what the piece is. It's about the quesadilla. Uh, and they're going to be screaming about this this quesadilla god. Um, so I wrote down some initial ideas and I, <laughs> I sent a desperate email to my cop teacher and said, I have this crazy idea. Can you hear me out?
0: um (laughs) and he or she bought it like they're invested in this product as much as you are
1: yes absolutely incredible
0: Um, how you i'm just i'm curious how that conversation went but that could be for another time Uh, so yes tell us so this this opera is called the church of quesadilla it's about a cult of people who worship quesadillas uh yes so i mean of course without giving too much away what is it about like besides the yeah. fact that it's about a cult worshiping quesadillas?
1: So the, the show is about, uh, two main characters, uh, Dante, um, who is the son of the current leader of the cult. Uh, he's the main character. And there's also father, uh, who is Dante's father and the current leader of the cult. Uh, so the show is about, um, uh, Dante, uh, being groomed and going through, a uh, test to become the next leader of the cult. Father is stepping down uh, and performing the final rite, uh, which you don't know what that is yet, but you will. Um, and in that process, he uh, he nominates Dante to be the next leader, and Dante must go through the three tests of leadership to become the next leader. Uh, the first one is the uh, test of worth, uh, where he must summon the case of deity and be deemed worthy by. God to lead the next generation of the cult. Uh, The second test is the test of knowledge, where you must pontificate all of the uh, rites, rituals, and practices, and all the things the cult believes in, and all the uh, the things that they do. Uh, For example, like how do you make the holy meal, the quesadilla? Uh, What cheeses can you use on what days of the week? Um, uh, How did the universe become to be? all these other things. Um, so he has to do that all in real time. And the, the last test is the test of temptation, uh, where he must venture to the holy grocery store uh, and buy ingredients for the holy meal to feed the con- congregation. So, but they've only eaten quesadillas their entire life. They've never had anything else. never even seen any other food. So for someone to go into a grocery store the first thing you see is the produce section and the dairy stuff is all the way in the back.
0: Oh, right. So you have to
1: walk through the entire grocery store, avoid all the free samples and, you know, not worry about, Oh, what is this apple? I don't know what this is. What is this? What is this chocolate? I don't know what that is either. And then buy all the things and leave without being tempted by any of the, any of the new food that you uh, could, could have so and that's the show and i can't tell you anything more than that yeah yeah,
0: no spoilers no spoilers i don't want any spoilers because i i i i would pay a ticket i i have to be honest with you like i'm so curious as to what happens at the end of the opera (laughs) and um has anyone ever composed a heavy metal opera before is that does that that even exist
1: yeah it does exist Um, Um, because
0: i'm so curious
1: yeah, um, I remember his name, uh, but the opera is Queen Boudicca. Um, and that was uh, a metal opera, I think, done in Boston. I think it's somewhere in Berkeley.
0: So, yeah, so what, what is the instrumentation? Because obviously it's not going to be like a traditional opera setting where you have acoustic violins, and or you might. I, I don't know. I'm curious what your thoughts are.
1: Mm. Uh, so... Originally, this was supposed to be the metal band and wind ensemble, um, but that's that's a lot of people. You can only do it in concert halls, uh, if that. Uh, so, um, so I uh, lessened the instrumentation um, to uh, single strings: so violin, viola, cello, bass, um, uh, wind quintet, uh, and piano for the acoustic instruments. And for the metal band, you have a drummer, two guitars, bass. And the two main roles: uh, a singer-screamer actor and a narrator-screamer actor. <laughs> mm-hmm. so.
0: Interesting. Okay, so there are acoustic instruments. Yeah, yeah. So okay, um, are, I, I would I would just picture this opera like having like, you know, like a traditional band setting. You would have like two electric guitars, a, 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 ba- a electric bass guitar, and maybe perhaps some you know percussion, some drums. <laughs> to really hyping up that heavy metal
1: yeah, yeah the uh, I'm in the middle of writing the test of uh, knowledge right now and this is just full- on mashiga, just cycling rhythms and heavy metal stuff and only screaming and it's really fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh I bet yeah
0: and I got a I got a taste of that over the summer when I first met you. you showed me a copy oh, yeah. of, oh, right. um, a, of what this opera may entail so my next question for you is who are you writing this opera for because Mm -hmm. for people who are non-classical musicians or even heavy metal listeners like what who are you who are you targeting are you targeting like um are you targeting uh like schools are you targeting like actual opera companies in your area tell me about that
1: like the audience for the show yes Hmm. um so it's it's weird because every every time I say I'm writing a heavy metal opera about a cult that worships quesadillas, I always get the best looks. Like, what is that? And I want to know more. Um, so, I think I think just the ridiculousness of the idea draws some people in. Yeah, the audience question is always hard for me because. Um, Cause it could, it could appeal to heavy metal listeners. It could be appeal to, um, people who like dramatical works like opera, and musical theater. Um, it could appeal just because you like the ridiculousness of the idea. Um, mm, yes. And, uh, I guess the ridiculousness of it is all on the outside because on the inside of the cult, they all believe these things but we're looking at it from the outside. So it seems ridiculous to us. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a weird balance. Um, And all all my friends uh, (laughs) just want to see it too. So um, it'd be curious to see once the, once I do a Kickstarter for it, um, what kinds of people I get, or, or what kind of people, people will be interested in seeing the show. I think that'll be the true test, um, but I'm still working on that that aspect of it, yes,
0: so actually, you bring up a very, very important point that um and I'm sure many people know that operas are expensive, right <laughs> yes, and they they do require some funding, they do require um some money um to say the least, right, so talk about um, talk about the process of actually funding an opera, just in general.
1: so we did some budgeting uh, what it would take to do a production of the opera. and it came out to around like eighty thousand, just with all the people that are involved, um, paying the venue, um, getting the setting the experience of it, like uh, what happens when you walk in. Uh, if there's decorations of the of deity around um, uh, and the ushers and uh, flying in the musicians from wherever they may be and lodging them and paying for rehearsals and yeah, there's a lot of money has to be put into this. Um,
0: right, because you have to also understand for people who are listening that you have to you know you have to hire soloists and you have to hire musicians and there could be soloists that Chris might be interested in that might have to fly from out of town. So, all those things are considered. And actually, many big opera companies do that already. And they have the budget for it. And it's included in their fiscal year planning and, like, how to, like, and it's also um, included in, like, what kind of program they want to put on for the upcoming season.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, a lot of what I'm doing in the next year is um, finishing the show, firstly, (laughs) still writing it. Hmm. Um, Yes. And uh, finding people. Uh, mostly the the metal people uh, to work with. Um, so I think that would be the hardest thing for me because I've never played in a metal band um, as much as I want to. Um, <laughs> um, but I, I don't know that many people in the metal community yet. Uh, but my hope is that just to put some feelers out, go to some concerts, meet some people, uh, and then tell people about the show and hopefully they have the same reaction that uh, you did and go, tell me more, please. Um, and then, they, and then usually one person knows someone who knows someone who screams. <laughs> um, so um, hopefully I can find someone, uh, a few people like that. Um, and of course, if someone has, since Dante is probably the hardest role to fill because they have to sing, scream, act, memorize an entire opera and all these other skills that it takes to do a role. So, um, I would also offer if someone had like three out of those four things or two out of those four things, but was superb in the other ones to say, are you willing to learn how to do the other things that you don't know how to do if you really want to do the show, you know, and then yeah, offer to pay for that too.
0: Brilliant. Yeah. Chris, my next question for you is, um, we had Evan Snyder, who you obviously know. He's a composer based in Michigan as well. And he's also working on an opera. And he's also um, writing his libretto. So for people who are joining us for the first time, welcome. And secondly, a libretto is... Um, think of it like lyrics, to where you set um, a set of words to a melody of a song. And that, it gets a little bit more complicated than that. So are you hiring librettos? Are you writing the libretto yourself? Talk about how you're actually writing the story in mm. addition to the music.
1: So I'm doing a very um, not conventional thing uh, with this show is that I'm writing the libretto and the music at the same time. Uh, so And why, And
0: sorry to interrupt you, why
1: yeah. is that unconventional? Uh, usually, um, composers will take a, uh, an existing libretto that's um, already been done or uh, they'll they'll have a librettist like adapt something into a libretto. Uh, so usually the, the text part of it is done by someone else. Um, uh, but, uh, I'm doing all of that myself, um, which is not normally, not normally, uh, what, what gets done. Um,
0: but you also have more control of the process if you write the libretto yourself.
1: Yes, absolutely. So, uh, it's not that I don't trust someone else to write this for me. It's just I felt like this idea was so inherently mine that I just wanted full control over it. And uh, I have the whole structure of the show laid out and I know what happens. I know how it ends. I know all so the 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 big the big picture structure of the piece is all there already. I made sure to work that out first before I started writing anything. But the individual lyrics um, for each of the sections, uh, I'm writing that at the same time as the music. Uh, which,
0: Very well. So, Chris, um, we are running out of time here, oh, so sure I just want to yes. ask one last question for you. Um, so, for people who are joining us, who have or are not familiar with classical music, or for that for in your case, uh, heavy metal operas. <laughs> give them a reason to attend a concert. Give them a reason why to attend your opera or any other genre concert of any choice. Like, give them a reason why.
1: Hmm. This, is the, this is the hardest question for me to, to think about. <laughs> um, I think it's hard to go to a concert if you don't know someone there. Like I go to concerts because my friends are performing in them. So if I if I had one friend uh, who was like, "Hey, I'm doing a, a show in a bar this week. I'm just playing guitar and singing some songs," be like, "Yeah, that sounds great. I'll show up. Um, I will support my friends." Uh, but if you don't have any musician friends, um, just supporting the people in your community who are making this this music, regardless of what it is, regardless if you like it or not, um, uh, is, is is always a good thing, uh, and you always get to meet new people uh, at concerts um, if you stick around to talk afterwards, which I think is probably almost the same importance as going to the concert itself, just meeting mm-hmm. the people yeah. who are there, um, and the musicians, too, who are up there performing.
0: Right, because I think you, you form a sense of community once you actually get to know the musicians and the composer and the director, and they, they want to meet the audience. You know, it seems like everybody has their own schedule, has their own agenda. People are very tired these days, so they just want to leave. But actually staying around, get to meet the artists, could actually encourage you to attend more concerts because there's a lot happening in a lot of communities, and that's just the best way to... Um, continue going to concerts. Like if you enjoy Chris's uh, Church of Quesa Deity, then you're more likely to enjoy a lot of his other things or people that Chris may, might know they might uh, go to their things and then it just kind of compounds that way.
1: Yeah. I think you need a really good experience to start though, to say, Oh, I want to do this again. Another big thing that I, yeah, another big thing that I forgot uh, to mention was that I am not a, uh, anti-recording person, <laughs> uh, but uh, the the biggest difference for me going to a concert versus listening to something on headphones or on a recording or uh, whatever is the the energy. You get to feel the energy in the room with a really good performance. You can you can feel it. You can see it. Uh, you get the visceralness of of the performer on the stage or. In the in the bar or in front of you, whatever, uh, and that and sometimes that energy is really intimate. Sometimes that energy is overwhelming in a positive way, uh, which is why like rock bands and all those things go on tour because people want to see them live. People want that live experience. So if you really want to feel um, that like visceral energy, uh, a concert is a great way to great way to start.
0: Excellent Chris. I want to thank you again for coming on to the podcast. Uh for people who want to get in touch with you and want to learn more about uh, Church of Chesa deity. and I I'm sure that's going to be a uh, TBA to be announced um in the future. Mm-hmm. But for people who want to learn more about your company, about your music, where can they listen and how can they get a hold of you?
1: Mm-hmm. Uh so my website is uh waterelephantmusic.com. <laughs> Um, that's a really old joke that has no context. So I won't explain. Um, <laughs> uh, that's, that's my personal website. Um, I'm also on SoundCloud, uh, Christopher A. Kaminsky, uh, SoundCloud. Probably um, if they, if they um, yeah, those two are probably the best, <laughs> best spots to look me up.
0: Okay, Chris, uh, thank you again. Really, really appreciate it. And uh, we hope to be in touch with you soon. Hope to have you on a future episode of the Everyday Musician Podcast. And stay tuned, everyone, of the Church of Quesadiri. It sound It may sound really out there, but I guarantee you it's worth it. I've listened to parts of... Uh, the production already. I've talked to Chris personally about some ideas, and it's really, really awesome. (laughs) So stay tuned. And Chris,
1: looking forward to having you in the future. Uh, Thank you so much. It's been great. Thanks for joining us on the Everyday Musician Podcast. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcast platforms.
0: And of course, don't forget to like the podcast on social media on instagram and on facebook at everyday musician podcast would really appreciate your like uh subscribe as well as leave a rating for the podcast wherever you find the everyday musician podcast thanks again and until next time